this time we'd like to welcome our radio listeners, KKVV 1060 on your AM dial, to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church Sabbath broadcast. If you would like to uh, see a rebroadcast of this, please tune to www.abundantlifelv.org and you can see that. If you would like a copy of this, you can write to us at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. But we would really like to see your face, so please come and visit us at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada. Our speaker today is our senior pastor, Calvin B. Rock. And after another special selection by Mrs. Brennan Morris, the next voice you will hear will be that of our speaker again, Calvin B. Rock, senior pastor of the Abundant Life Church. Hear ye him. Amen. Okay. Well, praise the Lord again. Happy Sabbath. I'm going to sing for you today. My soul has been anchored in the Lord. And truly, in these days and times, we have to be anchored in the Lord. So many trials come along. Day-to-day trials come along that just test you and try you. And this week has been particularly emotionally trying for me. It seems like, Lord, I always know what to do. (laughs) What to do to get you to know that anytime you think that you have nowhere to turn, your main focus should be on him. Your main focus is to be leaning on him. When nobody else seems to be there for you, that's what you should be doing. And God knows uh, the song that I needed to sing today. (laughs) And uh, God is good. Please. 
Let's the church say amen. amen. I think you have to go through some experiences to sing like that. That has to be from the heart. And we thank Sister Bernan and all the others who have, by their participation, led us to this moment of study. Shall we bow our heads? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for anchoring us through your word. And now, in the last part of this worship experience, we come to the table of good things and ask that as we turn the pages of Holy Writ, the Holy Spirit will speak to every heart and further anchor us in belief and trust and faith and service by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of you know that here of late, we have been studying the ministry of Christ as God's gift of something better. As God's gift of something better to the human race. We've talked about him as a better Adam and a better Moses, a better friend, a better sacrifice. And today I would like to discuss the ministry of Christ as a better witness, a better witness. And I want you to read with me from the book of Hebrews chapter one and review briefly the scripture that was read a bit ago that focuses our attention on the subject matter. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Now, hold on to Hebrews and look back at the book of Revelation. And I hope you brought your Bible with you today. Did you bring your Bible today? May I see your Bible? Can you hold your Bible up? All right, so you didn't come to be entertained, you came to study. That's good. Look at Revelation. And look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, which reads, And Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, he is the what kind of witness? Faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. These two scriptures remind us that Jesus indeed is our faithful and special witness. Now a witness is a person who provides first-hand information or testimony regarding an event or incident. A witness is one who actually saw or actually experienced the transaction and is able, a true witness, a true witness is able to give factual, accurate, dependable testimony. Amen. Factual, 
Actual, dependable. What kind of testimony? Factual, actual, dependable testimony. And Jesus is indeed our wonderful, factual, actual, dependable, blessed, better witness. And we needed that witness. In fact, if you want to tell the truth, he is our two-way witness. First of all, he is witness to God or about God to us. Let me repeat that. Jesus is witness about God to us, to the human race. He came to this earth to provide us firsthand, genuine, factual, actual, dependable, eye-opening, mind-clearing, first-hand testimony about the Father. Amen. And we needed that. And why did we need that so badly? Well, Isaiah tells us in the 59th chapter of his book and verse 2, but Isaiah 59.2, and you who are listening by radio, you will turn with us, I hope. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, and he will not hear. Sin separated the human race from God the Father. There was a time in the garden when the human race would talk with God. Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the day and hold conversation with God. But sin came and we were shut off. We were cut off. We were shut out. We were blocked out. We were estranged and severed from our personal connection with the Father. And to make it worse, while God could no longer talk to us, and how could he? Because as Hebrews reminds us, he is a consuming fire. <laughs> if the holy God, the holy creator would come down and talk to sinful creatures, we would be cremated in his presence. He could no longer talk to us face to face. Sin could not stand in the presence of the Holy God. We had to be cut off in order to live for a little while. But to make it worse, Satan was left behind. God was no longer talking to us. God was no longer interfacing with us. And he left Satan behind and Satan, in the absence of God, was defining God for us. Kind of like Obama being in Hawaii and Mr. McCain taking advantage of his absence. You read about that, didn't you? No, I'm not getting into the politics. But you know where my heart is, I guess. But it's, it's that way. In fact, it's not only Mr. McCain and Mr. Obama. It's Mr. Obama defining Mr. McCain, right? Yeah, you, you know. Mr. Obama says Mr. McCain is Mr. Maxine. Is that right? Four more years of Bush and Cheney, you know, he's defining him. 
defining him. And Mr. McCain is defining Mr. Obama, saying that he's all talk and beautiful speeches, but no substance and not fit to lead and all that. So they're trying to define each other. And the devil tried, in fact, he didn't just try, the devil succeeded, unfortunately, in defining God with the human race. God's no longer here communicating, so the devil defined him as being harsh and cruel and he's responsible <laughs> it's funny how these fellows define each other he's responsible the man they came on fox you listen to fox don't be too fooled by fox but you listen to some of these news outlets and they say that obama is responsible for gas taxes he's responsible for everything in the world and now he's the antichrist and so forth defining well the devil the devil was defining god as being evil and cruel and said he's responsible for all these graves you see he's responsible for all the death and all the pain all the things that are going on in the world that are bad is god's fault and Satan defined God as being evil and cruel and unmerciful. And God had to do something about it. So Hebrews, the first chapter, reminds us he sent his prophets to speak to us. And Hebrews says, God, who in times past spoke to us by the prophets, he sent the prophets and gave them dreams and visions and they wrote books and told stories and they preached and they taught. He sent Methuselah and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David. All of these were, Peter would later say, holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were interpreting, they were defining God who was no longer talking to us, they were defining God for God to the human race. But there was a problem. All these patriarchs and prophets were secondary witnesses. They weren't first-hand testimonials. They were second-hand witnesses. They weren't really there. Seeing God in vision is not the same as seeing him in person. Hearing a voice in your sleep in a dream is not the same as talking face to face and shaking a hand and being in a physical relationship with an individual with whom you are in conversation. Picturing the walls of Jasper and the sea of glass is not the same as feeling the walls and walking on the streets of gold. They were secondary reporters. They weren't really there. And besides, all of these witnesses that Hebrews is talking about, all these prophets, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Rebekah, Zechariah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Obadiah, all of them were secondary witnesses and they were not only not there to see it and understand it completely, they were faulty and sinful and therefore the prosecuting attorney who is the devil could question their witness and you know how they do on the witness stand don't you 
if you get somebody who's a witness and they got a shaky background, the prosecutor has, has an advantage with the jury and the judge. And so the devil could say, look at these prophets that you've sent. They're all faulty. Noah got drunk. Abraham, when Abimelech wanted to talk to his wife, lied and said, she's my sister. Moses lost his cool. God said, speak to the rock, and he hit it, not once but twice. Jacob was a sneak. Eli was a permissive parent who let his children do anything, like some parents today. David was an adulterer, saw a woman, when he should have been praying and studying the scripture somewhere, peeking around on the rooftops saw a woman and became an adulterer and a murderer. David, talking about the witness. Samson fell for a non-believer. Let her play around with his hair. Stroke him on the neck. Act the fool. And Elijah, big, bad, bold Elijah, got scared and ran from Jezebel like a little dog. <laughs> they were all imperfect. They were all, though scripture later calls them holy, meaning that they got over their sins and consecrated themselves to God and repented, but they were all in their lives faulty. And we talk about Ellen White and what she has contributed, and she has, not on the level of the Bible, let me say it again, but Ellen White too had bad habits and faults. They're all faulty, like all of us. So God had to upgrade his witness. Couldn't leave it with these brethren and sisters. He had to get a better witness. So you know what he did? Let me read it to you in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, and I'm going to read you Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, uh-huh, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works. And then, coupled with that, back to Hebrews, another mention that will give an undeniable clue as to what God did next. And this is Hebrews chapter 2 this time, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, at lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by who, everybody? The word spoken by who? Angels. Angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Verse 3, how shall we escape? So God sent human beings, but they were fallible. And God said, that won't get it. So he, I have to upgrade this witness. So he called on angels. Angels who were created a little higher than human beings. Angels who were an upgrade. Angels who were based in heaven. Angels who had seen the drama unfold in glory when Jesus decided to come down to this world. And these angels were extremely helpful. The angels ministered. They closed the gates of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned. 
The Bible tells us that angels were stationed at its gates with flaming swords so that Adam and Eve could not go back in and get near the tree of life. Angels shut the door of Noah's ark. Angel walled up the waters of the Red Sea. Angels stood in the way of Balaam's donkey. Angels slew 185 Assyrians in one night. Angels fanned their wings and brought air conditioning in the Hebrews' fire. Angels shut the lion's mouth. Angels fed fearful Elijah. And angels spoke to the Virgin Mary and said, Hail Mary, chosen of God. Thou art blessed among women and highly favored. And angels formed the big troop and sang glory to God. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. When the Savior was being born, angels have done their part. But angels were also insufficient witnesses. They had seen Lucifer fall and they had been a part of the drama. They had seen war in heaven and they had chosen the right side. They were the two-thirds who f did not fall for Lucifer's lie. But angels like humans are created beings. Angels could talk about God, but angels could not talk all about God because they were created and there was a time when angels were not. Angels could not talk about what was going on before they were created. They knew God, but they were not allowed to be in the executive committee of the Godhead when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit talked together and made their plans. They could witness for God, but they could not witness as God. And that is what we needed. That is what our circumstances demanded. We needed a God-level witness, not humans or angels even. We needed a true insider. We needed one equal with the law who could explain and witness to us about the sacredness of the law. We needed more than a law keeper. We needed the lawmaker himself. We needed more than a willing citizen. We needed more than loyal subjects to tell us about God. We needed someone from the royal family itself. And that witness, that willing, voluntary witness was Jesus Christ, the Savior. God's partner. He who was in the beginning with God, who went beyond this world and humanity and the fall of Satan and the creation of angels, who is himself life unborrowed and underived. I like the way that John puts it in the first chapter of his book. He says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And, and John calls Jesus the word because he is describing Jesus as the Father's voice made audible. Jesus is the Father's breath made visible. He is the Word, and he was God, and he was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus came as God's special witness. And when he came, he said, I and the Father, we are one. 
When you have seen me, you have seen who, everybody? The Father. And I do the works of the Father. And to make it even clearer, the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, read with me there. Colossians 1, verse 15, says it very, very powerfully. Speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, who is the image of the invisible God. This God you can't see, Jesus is his image. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, builds on that. Turn there now to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Twice, Paul says that Jesus is the image of God. Now that's good, but neither reference is as good as this one. Look back to Hebrews, our main book for today. Hebrews chapter 1, and notice what the Bible has to say. Back in the book of Hebrews, and notice verse 3. Who, being the brightness, speaking of Jesus, of his glory, the Father's glory, and the express image. Now pause there. He wasn't just the image of the Father. Now, now, you see children today, and you can say, boy, you look just like your daddy or your mother. A girl, you look just like your father, just like your, your, your mother. We have three daughters, and um, they, they all look, they're, they're all across. Neither one looks just like either one of their parents, her parents. You can look at one and see some Clara, and look at one and see some Calvin. Then you go on the other side, you see, you know, you get a mixture. Nobody came out the image. But I know some folk come out the image. You can't deny who you are. You don't have to look hard and figure that you're, you see it, it's all over. Well, listen to what it says. It says, Jesus was the express image. And you know what that means in the original? It means the reproduction. It means like a seal. It means as if you scribed, inscribed your name, you wrote your name and made a seal and you stamped it. It's the same thing. It's not something somebody else did or mixed. It is the exact image. Jesus is the exact image of the Father, and therefore he was able to show to the human race who God is. He came to redefine the Father. And when he came, he showed us the Father's concern by leaving his throne in glory for a while. He showed us the father's congeniality by being born in a stable and poverty and mixing with the common man and woman. He showed us the father's care by healing the bodies of human beings from disease. He showed us the father's compassion by relieving the minds of humans of their guilt. The Pharisees had told the people that the reason there's so much sin is because you are sinners. 
And people felt that all sickness was a direct result of some sin they had committed. Jesus washed away the debris and the dirt that had been piled upon the character of God. And he showed us the Father's undeniable commitment by dying upon the cross. All that Jesus did was reflecting. He was witnessing to. He was a testimony for the character of the Father. But that was just the first half of his witness ministry. The second half had also to be fulfilled. He not only had to show the Father to us, but he had to show us to the Father. That was the second part of his witness ministry. And here again, he was and is a better witness. Now the prophets tried to talk to God for us. You remember Moses? Moses said, Father, forgive them, and if you can't forgive them, blot me out. And Solomon prayed that magnificent prayer when he built and opened his temple and as he pled for the people and explained to the people that we are weak, O Father. And David said, remember that we are just dust and what is man? Remember who we are. Father, then many a prophet tried to remind the Father of how weak and how fallible we are. And every high priest did his best to signify to God the weakness of the people and the angels as they went back and forth. Even the angels who took back to glory their experiences with us, they tried to interpret for us. But there were fallacies with the prophets. Number one, they were sinners and sinful tongues could never express completely their own predicament. And as far as angels are concerned, angels had never sinned. They had never been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So they could never explain to the Father how sinners felt. So the sinners were unable and the angels were inadequate and God had to give us a better witness. So Jesus solved that need. He was our true and faithful witness. He began in Mary's womb and as no angel could do or had done, he took on humanity by hooking on to, to Mary's umbilical cord and coming into the world as our second Adam. And as Ellen White reminds us, he was born with all of our physical properties. He had all the organs of every man. He had to eat. He had to relieve his needs. He got sleepy and hungry and tired and agitated and thirsty. He ate our bread. He drank our water. He breathed our air. He slept in our beds. He walked our streets. He bled. He cried and he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose. And when he rose, he went back to glory and he said, Father, I spent 33 years down there with them and I didn't walk among them like 
a sinner who didn't know you, and I didn't walk among them like an angel who didn't know them and the depth of their perversity and sinfulness. I got in the mother's womb, and I walked and talked among them like a natural man. Father, even I felt their temptation to sin in the garden of the wilderness when the devil tempted me. I didn't sin, and I wasn't born in sin, but I was so hungry in the wilderness, and I was craving for food so strongly that I know what the drug addict feels like. I know how they feel, Father. I fasted for 40 days, and all of my sinews, all of my nerves, all of my glands were yearning and longing for satisfaction when I had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Father, I know how they feel. I know what temptation is all about. And Father, I've come home to witness to you and tell you all about them. And so, Jesus is our better witness. He is witness to us for God. And now Hebrews says, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He is witnessing to God for us and explaining to God our circumstances. And while he is there, when he went back there, he said, Father, I'm back home now, and this is the way it is. And then he turns to you and to me and says, as I have witnessed for you, now I want you to be witnesses for me. Let me read it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's going up from the mount. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both. Did you hear that? After he'd done all his witnessing down here, and he's going back to witness up there, he says to his disciples, and you know what I noticed, and you've noticed it too probably, after Jesus got up from the grave, he never went out and preached to the worldly people again. He never got out in society. He appeared 10 times after his resurrection. He appeared 10 times, but every time to his people. Never once did Jesus do any evangelism. (laughs) He never once went out on the street corners again. He never once preached to the Pharisees and the others again. After Jesus rose, All of his appearances were to his own disciples. And then when he left, he said, ye are my witnesses. What does that mean? That means that now he has finished his witness below personally, and he wants us to be his witnesses. And he says, this gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14, shall be preached unto all the world for a witness, and then shall... And then more than that, Ephesians 4 says, he gave us gifts so we could witness. And we're about to enter into the nominating committee process where those gifts will be evaluated and where you probably will be asked to do something for the kingdom. What I'm trying to emphasize today is not just the witness that Jesus has made for you and me, but for the fact that we got to get up out of our seats and get on our feet and get in the street, and we've got to start witnessing for him. Amen. 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 Yes. 
And he gave us gifts. And he said those gifts were for the edification of the church. In Ephesians 4, 7 to 13, and 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Till the church is built up, every one of us is a witness. You, sister, you, my brother, you are a witness. And Jesus is saying to you and to me today, you are a witness. You, Sister Murphy. You, Brother Wilson. You, Brother Forbes. You, and you, and you, and you, we're all witnesses for him. He is our witness, and if we love him and appreciate him for what he's done for us, now he says, I want you to go out and witness for me. And don't let anybody disturb you. Forget all the stuff that happened to you last year and the year before because they wouldn't cooperate or somebody talked about you or somebody said no when you knocked at the door. You and I are his witnesses. We're all he's got. The prophets are dead. And the angels are not going to do what humans can do. And so we are baptized into the fellowship of believers, not just to eat and grow fat on the gospel. We are baptized into the fellowship of believers in order to gain strength to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That exactly is what I want to challenge you to do today. But before I challenge you to that, and I've got a special program I want to read for you or give to you. But before that, let me notice, tell you the other thing I notice about this witness. He who witnessed, he who was the true witness for the human race, who witnessed to God for us and turned around and witnesses to God for us, he was betrayed and crucified largely he who is the true witness because of false witnesses. Because of false witnesses. You remember over there in the book of Mark? And I looked at this the other night and it struck me as being very ironic that the true witnesses was hung because of false witnesses. It says in the book of Mark chapter 14 beginning at verse 56 speaking of his trial for many bear false witness against him. But their witness agreed not together, and there arose certain and bear false, Mark 14, 57, false witness against him, saying, we have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. They were lying on Jesus. The true witness, now about to be crucified because of false witnesses. What he said was, destroy this body in three days, I'll bring it up. Which means that, go ahead and slay me, but I'll get up on the third day. But they turned it around and say, what he's saying, and this is what they told the council, the Sanhedrin, the jury, what he is saying is, he's going to tear down this temple. This temple that took us all these years to build, he's going to knock it down and Put it back up in three days. False witness. They accused him of blasphemy against the temple. And when that didn't work, 
because the Bible says that that didn't work. They got all confused with that and they were made to look stupid and silly. But when that didn't work, they told Pilate, who was governor of that province, look, he is also a Galilean, don't forget, the book of Luke chapter 23. And when Pilate heard them say Galilee, he was happy. You know why he was so happy? Because Herod ruled in Galilee. And he could get out of Judea and go over to Galilee. So they took him away and Pilate thought he could get a little help. But the same liars followed over to Herod. And now they changed their lie from blasphemy to treason and sedition. And they said to Herod, he said he is king. And we have no other king but Caesar. So they switched their evil witness from blasphemy to treason, trying to make Herod guilty or more guilty than he was. He was already guilty because he had decapitated John the Baptist, the same Herod, who was later eaten by worms. And he was glad to see Jesus because he thought he was John come back. But his hardness of heart did not allow him to feel and see the truth. And the liars, the witnesses against him, went on. And when they had piled on Jesus and Herod had turned his back, they sent him back to Pilate. And there the false witnesses continued, describing him as an enemy to God and an enemy to the state. And they gave him no witness for the defense. They could have called in some mighty wonderful witnesses. They could have called Bartimaeus, who had been born blind, or they could have called in a whole lot of lepers. Oh, he could have had some mighty witnesses. They could have called in the centurion whose servant was healed, or Jairus whose daughter was brought back to life, or the widow whose son was taken out of the casket on the way to the graveyard. If they needed true witnesses for the good he had done, they could have called Lazarus, who'd been in the grave four days past the time of putrefaction. If they wanted some witnesses, they could have gotten all those folk who were at Peter's wife's mother's house and said, y'all testify to what happened when they let that man down through the roof. They could have called the parents of the little boys who had a few fish and loaves. Oh, they could have had the witnesses, but the lying witnesses falsified on the true witness and they hung the true witness on Calvary. And today, though he is risen, it is his blood, it is his sacrifice that the devil never did understand. And the devil cannot yet understand how Jesus and God and the Holy Ghost can be so unselfish. That's, that, the devil doesn't understand. He knows why he's going to be burned. But he can't understand how any creatures could be so selfless and so giving and so humble. But the humble Jesus is looking for witnesses in Las Vegas today. He is a better witness. My question to you is, are you willing to witness for him? Do you love him enough to witness? 
Can I see your hand if you'll be a witness? Who'll be a witness? Who'll be a witness in your school, in your job, in your community, wherever you are? Well, I'll tell you what. I want to see if you really mean that. And what I've done is gotten with the membership clerk, and I've gone through the membership of this church, and I pulled about 35 names of missing members from Abundant Life. And what I want as part of the response now, and after the benediction, I want as many members who are willing to witness. All I want you to do, I'm going to give you the name of the person and the address and the phone number. And this week, I want you to go visit that member whose name you get and say, we love you, come back to church. Now, are you still willing to witness? Are you willing to put your feet where your mouth is? Or where your hand was? Yeah. Now the elders do this and the pastors do it. But we think that maybe a member going knocking at the door, instead of the preacher or the elder, one of, one of the, the regular members, saying, we love you, we miss you. Can we help you? We hope to see you next Sabbath. Next Sabbath is youth day, but that's a good time to come. Bring them back. And you have all week to do this. So I'm going to pray now after my final appeal. And after that, I'm going to meet you up here in the front on this side. The nominating committee or the committee to get the nominating committee, you meet over here for just a few minutes. I've asked Elder Brown to do that part, and then we'll get the rest going. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, our better witness. Now, Lord, Lord, oh God, our Father, Oh God, our Heavenly Father, may your word do its mighty work in the hearts of this, your people. May it wake us up and shake us up and get us up and get us out. May it, may it cause us to assess our gifts and our time and our talent, not just our tithe and our offering, but our, our, our personal labor for you. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I know that there are people here today who have been studying about the Sabbath and you've been examining the Seventh-day Adventist Church and you would like to come on in and be a part of what we're doing and you, you'd like to be a part of God's commandment-keeping people. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. You don't have to come down. Just stand. If you're not already a member of the church and you would, by God's grace, you know this is where you belong and you want to be. Maybe you don't know everything, but you'll take more studies so you can get ready. Would you stand right where you are while the church is, is bowed and while we're praying? Just stand where you are. God bless. God bless. Who else? Just remain standing, my dear. Who else? You're not a member yet, but you're coming. You've been studying. You're coming. You're coming. The Holy Ghost is speaking to you, and you want to be a witness. And one of the best ways you can witness is to give your life to him for total surrender. Bible work and the ushers will give you a little card. You put your name, phone number, and address, and we'll stay in touch. Who else? Just stand before we finish. Well, God bless. All right. Justin, I remember you from prayer meeting. I remember you from prayer meeting. Give Justin a card. God bless you. Who else? Who else? Stand. You get your card. Sign your name. Put your name. Put your address. We'll be in touch. We'll get you ready. We're going to have baptism, third Sabbath in September. And many of these people will be ready. 
but who else? All right. Is there another? Now, some of you have already taken your stand and you just want to raise your hand and say, yes, I've already made that commitment. What I want to do now is just be faithful. Pray for me that nobody will shake me out of the lane. Would you raise your hand? Already made that commitment. Father, thank you. You've seen our hearts. You've seen our hands. Now seal the word. May it be a seed in good soil to reap fruits. Rich fruits of the Spirit in good works. For Jesus, I pray. Let all the people say, Amen. God bless. Let us consider that as our benediction. And now I'm going to ask that all those on the large committee to get the nominating committee, you know, we met two or three weeks ago over here by the piano, and all of you who are willing and ready to join us in our, in our visitation to missing members. That's all. You don't have to preach a sermon. Just go and say, we miss you. God bless you. Can we help you? Let us pray. And you get on out of there. And next Sabbath after church, I want to meet with you and see how it happens. Sister Manigan, you come on over here, please. You have our list. Our membership clerk has our list. We have 30-some addresses. And we'd like for you to go two by two.